Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. On this episode of the CMO Podcast, we're going to do something special. We are going to take some of the best of that we have heard through the various podcasts we've recorded, and the subject today will be about purpose, brand purpose. We're going to take some of the lessons, the sound bites, the quotes, the learning from these remarkable CMOs, and we're going to put it into one podcast. So in one big dose, you get so much inspiration and learning about brand purpose. So grab your pen and paper or your laptop or your mobile, get ready to take some notes and put these lessons into practice in your daily work. So now here's my conversation with Pedro Erp. You know, you're in this amazing job. Yeah. Stuff you do affects millions of people around the world in your category, which is not beer. It's bringing people together. There's no company in the world who brings more people together than you guys. That's unreal. So what do you, how, do you think about that every day? Yeah. What, what you're doing affects so many people and how they come together? No, it's a privilege, you know, and, and we, I mean, beer has been doing that for more than 10,000 years, right? I, I was talking to, uh, you know, to some of my colleagues who just had a, an amazing week in, in China and, and we had people talking about the role of beer in society, you know, and wellness and all that. And a lot of people don't know, but actually beer created civilization. You know, there are a lot of studies now since the, the 1950s that people found out that actually the first grains uh, that people planted, uh, and, and that's the reason why the in communities was actually barley to, you know, to make beer. So people thought it was, you know, people settling communities to, you know, to, to plant uh, uh, and to grow uh, wheat, to do bread. And now they found out that it, it was Wasn't actually, it was it was actually beer. Barley, yeah. And, you know, and so there are a lot of scholars talking about, you know, how, how beer over time is some social tensions, you know, and, 
and how people got together because of beer. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a privilege, but a big responsibility, you know, to kind of take the, the flag of beer forward. So has that thinking evolved at AB InBev? You know, you guys have talked about brand purpose a lot and the purpose of the company and the purpose of your brands. So has that evolved over time? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, you know, first your, your book was a big inspiration for us, right? We always use the, the concept of brand purpose and, and brand ideal. Uh, and that has, has been, I think, uh, more stronger than ever, you know, Jim, because people talk a lot about technology now and they talk a lot about, you know, being, being relevant in culture and things like that. And I think these are all things that actually serve, you know, the brand purpose and they make the brand purpose even more targeted and even more relevant. But it all starts with, you know, what, what kind of difference your brand makes in people's lives, right? How your brand improves people's lives. Uh, and, you know, there, there is a risk, I think, that people focus on culture by, by, by itself or they focus on technology, segmentation, targeting, and they forget that actually what's going to drive the brand forward is, is the role that it has on people's lives. It's a hard question for you, I know, because you love all your babies. Which of your brands do you think is doing the best job on bringing their purpose to life? I do stuff, you know. I mean, you know, have so many brands. Or who's doing a great job? I mean, is All there... over the world. You know, I, I like a lot. I've been, you know, I was just on my way now taking a look at uh, uh, the the work that Budweiser just did with uh, with Wade, uh, you know, today, the you know, the guy's retiring. I think... I think Budweiser has been a brand that has been striking an emotional chord, uh, you know, talking to the heart of, of Americans. Uh, you know, it's it's always on the, you know, the top five of the Super Bowl and, and, and things like that. Uh, doing that in a very contemporary way, you know, we're using digital a lot and things like that, but also, you know, really, uh, really embracing what the brand stands for, you know. So I we have many brands that I think are, you know, are doing well. I think, you know, Michelob Ultra is the fastest growing brand that you asked for the last three years, also doing very well. But, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we have, we have some brands that are, that are doing okay. Pedro, thank you. It's a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. Here's my conversation with Kristen Lemkow. All right, I want to flip into some discussion about important questions. We're going to kind of <laughs> helicopter up and talk about some interesting questions in our industry. And the first one is one that's near and dear to my heart, and that's brand purpose. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? You know, I think some people thought it was fluffy, a fad, but it's the number one word yep. in the marketer's vocabulary, according to the ANA, the Big Trade Association. So what what do you think brands can really do now that it's out there, everyone's trying it? How can they differentiate on it? Yeah, I think it's huge, right? Of course, you were the godfather of this. But, uh, you know, our brand purpose is to help people make the most of their money uh, and to help America become more financially healthy. And I think it's becoming more it's critical purpose. because I th originally brand purpose was the anchor for a lot of your advertising and your content and the marketing product, it's now becoming critical to how you run the company. Like most companies, we're going through a transition where we are trying to become much more of an e-commerce company. We want more direct sales off of our channels instead of having to go through our intermediaries, our Google or affiliates or, or sure. other things other than our own stores and our own channels. And the only way we're really going to win that is by the customer understanding the brand and differentiating in their decision 
if your product is inherently commoditized. And in so, if you're not able to influence the consumer through traditional advertising, which is changing like no other time, they have to deeply understand the brand purpose in the product. Yeah. So where are the gaps now? What would you like to see in the industry yeah. for your own company to advance brand purpose to purpose 3.0? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest change in the industry now is – uh, with the shift from consumers to linear to digital media, um, the mistake marketers have made is assuming that the interruptive form of an ad, which a consumer will accept in linear TV as the trade-off for the free entertainment experience, is not the consumer that's in a digital active state and is one tap away from an infinite amount of content. And so instead, we are interpreting brand purpose through advertising that the consumer is now seeing as a tax on their time. And that model has to change. It has to be much more about how the consumer can discover your mm -hmm. product or service or brand and relate to the why you're doing it, not just why you want to sell it. Yeah. So moving on from purpose, I want to talk about lifestyle brands. So Peloton, Orange Theory, Nike, Target, BMW, you know. They're brands that have become sort of a lifestyle. When you say them, something comes to mind very, very vividly. So how do brands do that, and when does that happen? Yeah. Well, I can talk a little bit about our experience with the Sapphire brand sure. because yep. that's we've watched that brand co come from a credit card brand. To James Corden is sort of your spokesperson. He is. Right? I know that contract has expired, okay. and he's but now has been. with con um, coffee. He was, yeah. Um, but we've seen that brand move from just a – a strong credit card brand to something that is becoming much more like a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. And our gateway into that is that it's a, a travel product. Right, right. Um, but it has come to mean something more than that. It's not your dad's card. Uh, it's um, the card for people who like to discover things. And so we have all of these things. What is Sapphire? What isn't it? It's a community, not a club. Uh, it's um, not ostentatious. It's uh, you know, for people who like to go to an Airbnb and eat in a hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. And it, in that, it changed our marketing play because we put everything into that product launch into the product. So we had a high premium, high rewards value, and um, uh, no committed advertising behind it. We just dropped it in the market and didn't say anything about it. And the blogs picked it up mm -hmm. and then Refer a Friends picked it up. And all of a sudden, this came the thing. This became the thing that you had if you were in the know. But it was the first time we sort of threw everything into the product design itself, and then let the market take care of itself. So the lesson on it would be that you designed an incredible product, design a badass you understood product, your customers really, really deeply, yep, and the importance of travel and experiences. And then you got behind. You just let the people who loved it. Do yeah, your the key consumer insight was millennials want experiences, not stuff. Right, right. And then you build a product around that and you let the product sell itself. Yeah, it's a beautiful You story. know, consumers don't like to be interrupted. They don't like to be told what to buy. And the best lifestyle brands can deliver that. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest on the CMO Podcast. It has been wonderful. Thank you, Jim. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 
81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So, what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Here's my conversation with Fernando Machado. What's cool about today is we're talking to each other on the day that you announced unhappy meals at Burger King, <laughs> right? The real meals Pretty for much. every mood. Pretty much. So that's crazy. So, And it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. Yeah. So give me a little bit of the backstory to start our interview about this idea, why you did it, you know, your goals, your objectives. Yep. What was the inspiration for it? Yep. So, we, I mean, we, we have done... Uh, over the past few years, like uh, a bunch of ideas that are not necessarily just focused on the commercial gain or the short-term sales of, uh, for the brand. You know, like we want to keep our brand modern, connected to people, uh, like um, surfing pop popular culture, creating waves of popular culture. Um, around four or five years ago, with a lot of positioning work, trying to make the brand a little bit more modern, uh, we evolved from uh, having it away from being just uh, customization to be more about self-expression and individuality. Uh, we are the brand that puts the crown on everyone's head, that welcomes everyone. Uh, we believe that sandwiches that are perfectly imperfect taste better, uh, and we embrace our guests perfectly imperfect the way they are. Right? I mean, so that's yeah. kind of like the uh, in, in a nutshell. So around, I would say around like like nine, twelve months ago. Uh, Mullen Law, which is uh, one of our key agencies, they are the main uh, digital agency do doing the work for digital uh, in the case of North America, meaning like the US. Mm -hmm. They came up with this idea. It was actually a presentation where I was present, the North America team was present, uh, and we felt it could be very powerful. You know, like we, we always try to do things differently. So to do something that's kind of like the opposite of a happy meal, calling attention to uh, an issue that's through more than ever, uh, exacerbated by social media, I would say, uh, felt like something interesting. So the issue is mental health. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that uh, the fact that today, maybe with social media pressure or society pressure, uh, there are lots of people who don't feel good about expressing uh, when they are not feeling their best, uh, and we believe that's important. And, and it's important because we believe that. People should be who they are and should express how they are their way. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the position of the brand. So uh, the North American team took the lead on bringing this project to life. We, we were helping a little bit here, a little bit there, but it was like huge credit to our uh, our U.S. team, like uh, Diego, Flavio, George, like the, those guys did like all the heavy lifting uh, of the work and we launched it this week. And, and so far, the uh, it was really well received by the press and by especially by our fans. We are not the brand that has the biggest budget uh, in the category. So we, we need to come up with ideas that will make uh, not only the brand stand out, but ideas that people, when they see the idea, they feel, oh, this is quintessentially Burger King. Like only Burger King uh, could have done that. Uh, and, and when we get it right, uh, we end up getting a lot of earned media I mean, lots of press covering uh, the stuff we do uh, and a lot of talkability uh, because the ideas are fun or they have a meaning uh, or they add to the conversation. Uh, they don't feel too commercial. And that's why people share and press covers. 
you've done so many amazing pieces of work in your life, but if you could speak first, maybe at Unilever, and I think I know what you'll say here, and then at Burger King, what's the piece of work, the creative piece of work you're most proud of? At both companies, yeah. So in at Unilever, I would say, and it's, why it's sketches, mm-hmm. uh, because in, um, there are lots of things that I did Unilever that I'm very proud of. But sketches and describe were, sketches in a yeah. in a sentence or two for the audience. Yeah. So it's uh, Real Beauty Sketches uh, was a campaign that we did for Dove in I think it was like beginning of 2013. Uh, we were Dove is about real beauty, right? Uh, but historically, campaign for real beauty has been a lot about campaigning. Almost like industry, beauty industry. Look what you're doing to us, uh, and we were trying to refresh that. So instead of putting the spotlight in the industry, we put the spotlight on women, on themselves, uh, and that's why when people watch Evolution, they do like yeah, like and when they watch sketches, they cry because it's personal, right? Uh, and people don't notice that, but that is the difference, right? And uh, and it was the first time in my career that a campaign got completely out of control. You know what I mean? Like it didn't matter if you were in a pub or on my soccer practice on Saturdays in London or under a rock, underwater, people would be talking about sketches. It was ridiculous. It was like a nuclear bomb. Like, uh, and I never had, I never felt that before. You know, to create like a global topic of a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, like, a, and Unilever fully supported the thing. I mean, they allowed us to do, they allowed us to pick the team to work on the deployment when it hit hard and uh, and to do whatever we wanted in terms of deployment. We were buying media globally for the first time. We did like a war room for the first time. This is back in 13. Today, everyone does that stuff. Oh, it was a huge pioneer on brand purpose. Yeah. I don't think we'd have brand purpose at the state we have it in right now in the world without Dove. Yeah, well, um, there, there were many. It was a breakthrough. Yeah, there were many brands playing around that territory, uh, but like that one hit really hard. Mm-hmm. Like, and it broke so many rules. You know, like people would say like, "Oh, don't do a video that's longer than a minute or sketches." It's like three, I think. The first version was like seven. Uh, and anyway, so that was like, I remember like presenting that campaign for people who never saw it before and like the whole like uh, the first three rows of the convention thing like everyone was crying you know that was very 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 powerful uh, and i've learned a ton uh, by doing uh, by doing that so that's probably like the one i'm most proud of uh from unilever uh and then on the bk side we did so much you know like uh, really like so 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 much uh i think that the one that I'm most proud of, probably, and and it's, it's, con- it's in, on Unilever. I think it's very clear, mm-hmm. you know. Like this is uh, harder. in in Burger King, I would say like, oh, it's between these three. You know, I would if I had to pick one, I would probably pick Mac Whopper. Uh, so Mac Whopper was a campaign that we did. I think it was 2016, uh, where we invited McDonald's to join forces for a day meaning like Peace Day, which is yep. uh, September 21st. So we put an open letter on the New York Times uh, inviting them to create the Mac Whopper, six parts Big Mac, six parts the Whopper, as a peace-loving burger, uh, and yep. to serve in one location in Atlanta, which is literally like the midpoint between their headquarters in Chicago and ours in Miami. Uh, and, uh, and, that it, and that was basically it. Like That was like the open letter, and there was like a, a website that had 
uh, details around the proposal and how we would make it happen. Um, and again, that one was like nuclear. Uh, like again, like no, I have, like everyone was talking about that. People still talk about that. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, we also did Proud Whopper, which I'm no pun intended, very proud of. It was one of the first ones we did for Burger King. We did Google Home of the Whopper, which I think it was really cool. We did Whopper the Tour, which is a campaign that we did end of last year. So there are a lot. Like uh, on Burger King, uh, I think that. Maybe because we have this challenger mentality, right. uh, uh, and maybe because uh, the company is smaller, we are able to uh, crank stuff out much faster and in larger uh, larger amount. Like, are we launching two, three ideas per month today? Like, it evolved to become that. Five years ago, it was like one, yeah, per year. Uh, now it's like a machine gun uh, of uh, of ideas. Yeah. So why do you love the industry so much? And why do you love advertising and marketing? I mean, is it about because creativity and commerce come together? It's about purpose. It's about meaning. It's about affecting the world. What is it? Yeah, I think... Briefly. I, I, I think I love um, I love creativity in general. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that the pace that creativity gets developed in the industry and the impact that you can have on people's life is incredibly high. You know, like uh, if... Uh, uh, one you said like what's the one question that you get the most frequent? Mm -hmm. The two questions that I get the most frequent are if if I'm not afraid of some of the stuff we do, and the second one is like how could you leave Unilever, uh, Dove to work on fast food? You know like why don't you work for a vegan brand? Mm -hmm. uh, that's I get a lot of that from my friends too. Uh, and, and, and answering your questions like well I'm making a difference. Like whether you like fast food or not, fast food is here. You know, like, and the number of visas that we get is like r ridiculous, like per day. So I will work to make an impact on on this industry. You know, like a, we are we are doing a lot of stuff in terms of cleaning up the ingredients, removing preservatives, artificial stuff, la la la. Impossible like, burger, right? Yeah. Well, we just launched yeah. that. Uh, it has been so far so good, mm -hmm. like better than what you were expecting, but we think it's going to grow even further. Uh, and. Uh, in, 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 in causing an impact here, just like Dove had an impact uh, mm -hmm. on, on people. It's a soap, right? I mean, yeah. it's a beauty bar, yeah. but it's like, or like uh, how you can have a brand talking about the talk, uh, or you can have right. a, a, a brand uh, talking about uh, 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 like, uh, like a girl. You know, like all those Good brands. Good ideas. Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah. exactly. So I'm, like, you can make an impact on people's life. You know, like uh, your brand can do more than just represent a function or product. Uh, and I think that the, the, when you combine that with creativity, it just gets me excited. And that's why I like the industry so much. Fernando, this was incredible. My, Thank was my you for pleasure. being my guest. My pleasure. Here's my conversation with Michelle Peluso. I went out to Nike's headquarters when I was CMO at PNG. I asked them if I could come out and film a webcast there mm. and share it with our employees about purpose yeah. and about culture and mm. about humility and about consumer focus and about the environment. Mm -hmm. It's such an inspiring place to work. Yeah. You know, so. It's a, it's a remarkable brand. Yeah. And then CMO SVP. Of IBM. We finally get there. Yeah, right. We finally get there. We're talking <laughs> I feel like I'm like 75 so, right now. <laughs> no, yeah. Only 24 years. So, but a remarkable career run. And you obviously are comfortable with change mm. and crisis mm -hmm. and innovation. <laughs> so great preparation for CMO, right? <laughs> so you come into IBM and, um, you know, why did you make that decision? 
I love the intersection of technology and and people, right? And I love I actually really like challenging times and and I love learning and uh, and I love being inspired by people who I think are smarter and better than I am. I'd known Ginny for a while. And she had wanted me to come for a while. And I kept saying, oh, I'd be terrible. I'm a B2C person through and through. Um, but she, you know, over time is, is incredibly persistent. And um, uh, and I think the, the idea that I would be able to, uh, to lead such an iconic brand that was in the middle of so much transformation um, with a team of people that is arguably one of the smartest and also sort of, frankly, humble teams of people, you know, the sort of business world has ever seen. Um, and I was just struck by that just uh, Saturday, actually, as I was remembering, we've, of course, celebrated Apollo 11. Well, there were 4,000 IBMers who made Apollo 11 possible, and actually many of them in that room on that day. And, um, you know, this this company that kind of stands for big, audacious things, but sort of pays it forward, there's not a lot of 108-year-old technology companies that have reinvented themselves as many times as IBM has. Um, and and also the opportunity to work uh, at a company with a sense of purpose. So talk about purpose like things mm-hmm. like changing society. But on topics like inclusion, you know, where IBM has uh, just been a groundbreaker um, always. And that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. So how do you explain IBM these days to your kids? Yeah. You have a what, nine and 10 year old. I do. So what do you, how do you describe the company to them? I do. I think that most of, uh, most of the change in the way they're seeing the world work, um, when they think about things like artificial intelligence or they think about how to get food to their table in a safe way, or they think about how to have an experience that is unlike any other at a retail store. Um, so much of that, IBM's technology and people are behind the scenes. So, um, uh, you know, I explain it to them like I explain it to anybody in the experiences we provide for our clients, in the ways we make society better, in the um, in the passion we have relentlessly for sort of a world that that um, uh, will be better. So, you know, there's just so many stories that you can bring to life. And of course, they love the idea of Watson. They want Watson to do all their homework and all the rest of it. So that <laughs> the helps. Side benefit, right? Yeah, exactly. So. When I was at P&G years ago, we really loved what you did on purpose, mm-hmm. the Smarter Planet work. Mm. And uh, it was just your work was so inspiring. It was visionary. Yeah. You wanted to be a part of it. So we studied what you did. So I think you were a pioneer in this concept of brand purpose and bringing it to life across your enterprise. So what's the status of that now at IBM? What's yeah. brand purpose now at IBM? Well, some of that work in Smarter Planet um, uh, was so good because it resonated with who IBM actually is. You know, it was it was one of those things where the authenticity of IBM and the zeitgeist of the moment connected. Um, and so as we think now, you know, our mission about let's put smart to work, we are uh, we are sort of unabashed in pulling from the strength of that authenticity from Smarter Planet. Um, but we're also recognizing a time when, you know, let's is really important. You know, it's us and our clients together. We don't come in with the solutions anymore. This is a show me world, yeah, you know, yeah. um, uh, putting things to work, you know, that that idea of scale and benefit, you know, is critical. But I, I think the the purpose of IBM has to be the following three things. 
It's always being at the forefront of the most innovative technology so we can help our clients determine what's best. Um, it's why we're the, you know, we have more patents than anybody else every year. Secondly, it's always about industry expertise um, that we need to understand how the underbelly of some of these industries work so that real change can happen. It's not a proof of concept. It's how do you really make AI, for instance, reshape the way you do HR, the way you do marketing. Um, but third thing, and perhaps it's most important, is this, this this sense of trust and responsibility that we have to help shepherd in all this new technology era after era with responsibility. It's why we're so passionate about things like skills and all the work. I mean, P-TECH being one example, um, a program we pioneered that is a six-year program with states and local governments now entered its 14th country pipeline of 150,000 young people. Um, crazy success rates from the schools we've had. Um, and, and many of them work. They, they're, they're incredible schools because you have a six-year program, equivalent of four-year high school to your associate's mm -hmm. degree, for STEM, um, often in some of the toughest neighborhoods, by the way, um, and you're interning throughout. So in my team, we've got great P-TECH students who, you know, intern with us for the six years and then often get a job at IBM. So pioneer inclusion, another topic that is core as we think about trust and responsibility. You cannot usher AI into the world if you're not really, really thoughtful about who's training, you know, the AI. Mm -hmm. um, uh, data and privacy, another yeah. massive topic right now. We've had principles about data and privacy that we adhere to, you know, and, and that's core of who we are. Mm -hmm. It's not an afterthought. Yeah. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Well, it's always been, and more than ever, it's an important yeah. brand purpose for the world. Yeah. So how do you know you're making progress on it? Yeah. Um, well, I think the the... The good thing about the great thing about IBM, the good thing about IBM is these things we're talking about are our DNA. We're not just saying, oh my gosh, in an era of Me Too, we have to have a point of view on inclusion. Mm -hmm. We wrote, our, our CEO, former CEO, wrote policy letter number four in, in the 1950s, a decade ahead of the Civil Rights Act, saying that we would always be a company that hired irrespective of race and gender and orientation and all these other things. So, you know, when you know that is your company's DNA, you are driven to raise the bar. It's also why I run the Women's Initiative for all of IBM, um, and I've been publishing on this lately, things I think we need to do as a society and as companies to actually make faster progress. So mm -hmm. when you come from a brand that has authenticity about values, data, privacy, skills, inclusion, um, it's a lot easier to think about how do you raise the bar and how do you measure success than if you're somebody who's coming at these things as an afterthought. So thank Michelle, you so thank you. Thank it was you. delightful, inspiring, Same. amazing. Thank you so much. Here's my conversation with Mark Pritchard. Mark, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Well, first, Jim, thank you for having me here. This is um, an amazing honor. And I have just such deep respect and admiration for you and always have. You know, Sir Isaac Newton said, if I can see further, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. And I'm standing on your shoulders. 
I'm and, blushing. Well, and, and for good reason. You know, you were a real pioneer. You pioneered digital media where we had, a, in fact, internships or an exchange with Google. We, you pioneered purpose-driven marketing. You pioneered the focus on elevating our creativity at Cannes. Um, you, you were just a, a real leader. And so even changing the name is standing on your shoulders because you are a giant in the industry. So I thank you for, for, uh, for having me here so I could share a few things. So your favorite P&G brand campaign of all time? Two. One is uh, Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl because I ran the CoverGirl business for 10 years. And the second is the P&G campaign for the, Olympi the Olympics, Proud Sponsor of Moms. My yeah. two absolute favorite. I'd be up there with me too. Yep. So I want to flip a little bit they're interrelated into this branding topic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, P&G always, from John Smale's time before that, has been a pioneer in branding and marketing. As you said, looking around the corner, what's next? So I'd like you to give us, you have a rare view of that. So what do you think is what's next in terms of branding and marketing for P&G and for the industry? Yeah. What should we be thinking about in the next five to 10 years around the corner? Yeah. Well, we're still at the very early stages of one-to-one -one marketing on a mass scale, uh, driven by data and technology. I, I think that that is... is you know, and it almost—it's it, amazing when you look at how long, how much has changed, but how much, how far it still has to go, because there's still. By the time all of our companies have enough data to be able to connect with people on a one-to-one -one basis, then, then, then that will then change how we engage with our media providers, how what roles agencies play with that, how much work we actually do ourselves versus versus other agencies. So that transformation is just going to continue to go exponentially. The creative transformation, I think, is going to be even more profound because, you know, seven out of 10 people say that ads are annoying. Seven out of 10 Gen Z and millennials don't watch TV and don't watch ads the way we watch them. So Lots of smiles in the audience. I can literally <laughs> imagine a world without ads as we know them, which is why we're so focused on this new creative approach where we bring uh, different ways to be able to engage with your brand. So you can actually get behind the brand. Nine out of 10 people feel better about a brand if they, if they focus on an environmental cause or a social cause, and they want to know who's behind the brand. So a lot of this Nat Geo special that you'll see is it's P&G employees because people want to know who's behind um, uh, head and shoulders and, and always and so forth. So, but those are two really profound changes and that'll, that'll change then the the roles each of your roles as you as you come and the skills that you'll need you'll need a blend a real blend of creativity so right brain and a blend of of analytics and data so you'll need to make sure that you can connect those two and and to be able to work on a fast cycle basis to make things happen and and be a, be a great leader at the same time so it's a it's a real ambidexterity that's going to be required um, so those are those are the ones that really punch out for me in terms of what's going to change. And uh, it's, it's going to be very, very exciting. I mean, I mean, I think it's exciting now, but I think it's just begun. So one area that's changed is, is this idea of purpose, mm -hmm. right? It was kind of a fringe idea maybe 20, 25 years ago. It's now mainstream. Yeah. And you call it brands as a force for good, which I love that metaphor mm -hmm. and that language. 
So if that is now how everyone is doing business, we've had the recent letter signed by the business roundtable about the role of a corporation. How do you differentiate on that now? If it's how everyone is trying to behave, yeah. how can one company or brand differentiate on force for good or purpose? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good, it's a great question because purpose as a, if, if you're not careful with purpose, it can become a very broad uh, topic that, that doesn't have as much meaning as it needs to. Each brand and company has to really focus on what makes it special and then what can it do uniquely as a force for good and then translate it into a force for growth. And the reason why we say force for good and force for growth, if you're a force for good and you're not a force for growth, you're a, um, a philanthropy mm-hmm. and a nonprofit. We're in the profit business. If you're a force for growth and not a force for good, you're a mercenary. So people are looking for both. You have to do both. And it's far more sustainable when you can do both. But back to the point around what you need to do is you need – so always who focuses on, on, on protection – can uniquely focus on how it can do something like end period poverty. End period poverty is a new campaign that they have. 20%, up to 20% of the young women in the United States skip school during their period because they can't afford adequate feminine protection. That's, that, that seems like a third world problem. No, it's a first world problem. So they're ending period poverty with donating pads and they're gonna do it in 40 countries. That makes sense for always to do that. Um, SK2 is about changing the destiny of your skin and about women taking control of their lives to change the destiny of their lives. So not being ruled by what they need to do when they're a certain age. They can change their own, their own destiny. Ariel and Tide, which are some of our laundry brands, have done this, this campaign called Share the Load, which basically has men and sons doing laundry because they can share the load. That's a gender equality message. So all these things are are important to uniquely find what makes your brand or your company special and then differentiate. And then what will really differentiate is whether you're really doing it Mm -hmm. and and going all the way. Always right now is also looking at their entire supply chain. They're making sure that they're giving a supply chain that that is sound on every level, on equality, on sustainability. And that's what will be required. So you can't just say... Back 20, 25 years ago, you can say, yeah, I'm purpose-driven. Yeah, it was more of yeah. a campaign idea. It was idea. a campaign yeah. idea. Mm-mm. Now, substance. And the, 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 the substantive brands will be the ones that win. And that, in my view, gives us a competitive advantage because we touch 5 billion people, because we have these, these 182-year-old values around integrity, and we have substance. And uh, we make sure that we deliver. So it's about behavior over mm-hmm. time, consistent behavior. Yep. So we have a lot of students in the room, a lot of student listeners. So Mark, it would be really cool if you could tell them what makes up a great brand person today. So for P&G, a great brand leader, what do they do? What are the characteristics? What are they great at? And then maybe the back end of that question, what would you like them to be greater at? Uh What's the gap? Yep. First thing that pops in my mind is absolute unbridled passion for your brand. Love your brand. You are the founder of your brand, and that's the way you need to behave. Behave as your brand entrepreneur. Therefore, you're going to do everything you can in your power to make sure that this brand succeeds. Then what you need is you need the skills. You need the skills of envisioning because you need to see where you want to take that brand. You need the skills of defining who 
most importantly, who your consumer is that you're, that you're um, serving and understanding everything you can about what they need and want. Uh, you need to define what your brand stands for, and that requires a level of creativity. And then you need to bring that to life at the, um, at the, what we call the five moments of truth, or which is the product, the package, the retail execution, the communication, and the value. And, and that requires a tremendous amount of leadership because most of the work that we do is not necessarily work we do. We have to engage others to be able to make that happen. You will need to get your hands on the keyboard more, so to speak. You won't be able to delegate a lot of the work to the agencies as much as you did before. And that's largely because you have now more data available and the ability to do analytics. So you'll need to be able to to, to do some more of that work beyond what you had done before. Um, you, you don't necessarily have to be you know an expert data scientist, but you're probably going to have to understand what an algorithm is and how it works and most importantly, what you're trying to accomplish um, with it. Uh, if, you, if there was one thing we could do more, I, I would like to see more creativity. Mm. I'd like to see more creative bravery. Um, you know, building brands is, is there's, there, there's certainly some, some math associated with it, <laughs> but, but what really makes brands grow is when you come up with a brilliant idea. You know, the reason why SK2 is growing at 30% a year for the last three years is because its creativity has been phenomenal. Why Olay turned around was this face anything campaign that went from basically zero to double digits. Why Secret, which has been a, a real sleepy brand, came out with all strength, no sweat. And when they saw that the women's soccer team had, had this battle going on around, around equal pay, they said, we need to do something about that. And a week later, they basically put an ad in the paper that said, we're going to give $529,000, um, which is basically money to be able to close the gap. That was their business started growing because it was a great idea. And so that's, that's what differentiates the best brand builders from the average brand builders or those that have the courage and the bravery to, come, to really put a big idea out there and make it happen. Mark, a beautiful interview. As I said, first time we've been on stage since I left the company 11 years ago. And I just found it very inspiring and extremely hopeful for P&G and for business at large. So thank you for your inspiration. And let's give Mark a Bearcat thank you for being with us on this beautiful afternoon. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.